0: We've been uh, working our way through the book of Ephesians. If you haven't been with us, you probably wouldn't know that. But months ago, we started in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. And we are now in chapter 4, looking at verses 17 through 24. This is going to be a two-part study. Okay. The title of it is Off With the Grave Clothes, On With the Grace Clothes. Off With the Grave Clothes... On with the grace close. We're going to look and study verses 17 to 20 today, and then next week we'll look at uh, verses 21 to 24. Before we get into that, I want to read a couple quotes. The great John Wesley, he said this, If I had 300 men who feared nothing but God, hated nothing but sin, and determined to know nothing among men but Christ and Him crucified, I would set the world on fire. Come on now. Henry Varley, a man of God, D.L. Moody overheard him saying this, The world has yet to see what God will do with and for and through and in and by the man who's fully and wholly consecrated to Christ. Queen Victoria asked William Booth the secret of his successful ministry. And he answered this, and I quote, I guess the reason is because God has all there is of me. Okay. This idea is someone, man or woman, set apart, someone in Christ, fully set apart to the work and the power of the Holy Spirit through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And as we gather to study God's Word, we will all be, always be a ministry that's focused on the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the sound, doctrinally sound, that is, teaching of God's Word. Just as a side note, we've been studying a lot lately and I've been talking a lot about doctrine, okay? Doctrine simply means, in its simplest form it means this, doctrine means correct teaching. Doctrine is correct teaching. You You can read scripture and a man can read scripture and teach scripture in an incorrect manner, amen? It's false doctrine. False religions are birthed out of the teaching of false doctrine. So when you hear doctrine, you understand that it simply means correct teaching. So we're going to be given to the study of God's word, verse by verse, so that we break down God's word as it um, in its contextual clarity. Okay, and we know hopefully that when we join together to learn the word of God, that we are not here to simply learn. But God wrote His word through men for the sake of what obedience. Obedience James tells us in James chapter 1 verse 22 to be doers of the word and not Hearers only not hearers only And As we've been studying over the weeks knowing that we are one in Christ We are one in Christ you individually if you're saved you are one in Christ And we as a body are one in Christ individually gifted as we've learned to function within the body for the sake of the glory of God because of that alone, ought to drive us, ought to compel us to live a life day by day, which rightly represents the one who saved us. Amen. And that's been the idea, and this whole thought that we that we're working our way through here in chapter four of Ephesians. Now we get to verse seventeen, and I want to read verses seventeen through twenty-four. And then we'll go back as we do each week and we'll begin to study. We'll break down verses 17 through 20. So here here we have Paul, and he begins with a therefore. Okay? The, The Bible's filled with therefores and wherefores, right? The Bible's filled with therefore. This is application now. Anytime Paul teaches, he teaches doctrine first. Very common in his letters, very common in the epistles, that he's teaching doctrine. He's teaching theology. He breaks down the theology, and then he moves into therefore. Because of all of this truth, because of all of that which Christ has done on your behalf, live this way. Because of the price he paid for you, live as though you're saved. Because you have everlasting life, live a life in a manner that represents or reflects the fact that you have everlasting life that's the way Paul teaches so here we are verse 17 and this he says verse 17 this I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind having their understanding darkened being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt, according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, And that you put on the new man, which was created according to God, in true righteousness and holiness. So Paul's exhortation that's taught here is both in the negative, here we go, negative, and the positive. In verses 17 through 19, he he is in the negative. Don't live like this, he says. And then he transitions into... But do live like this. So we're going to look at the negative today, and next week we'll look at the positive. Very common in Paul's teaching. Now, when you become a Christian, when you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, a radical change takes place to your basic nature. When you were born physically, you were born with a nature that is what? Sinful. You were born with a sinful nature. The littlest, cutest baby... That is in this sanctuary today and they're all cute right you all have cute babies born with a sin nature and you begin to see that n- that nature manifest itself as that child grows amen for parents who've been parents a while they'll take something you see them you call them on it what do they do naturally they hide their hand behind their back how do they know how to do that right you tell them not to touch something they'll look you in the eye don't touch the microphone and they'll do this that is sin nature manifesting itself that's the way we're born when you were born again when you come to faith in Jesus Christ that nature is radically changed that's what it is to be born again that's what it is to be regenerated non-believers are referred to as the unregenerate You and I used to be, we were unregenerate, unsaved, unknowing of a relationship with God. But he struck and breathed life into you. And that radically changed your nature. You were a new creature in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17. Mark this down. 2 Corinthians 5.17. Put this in the introduction section. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold... All things have become new. All things have become new. He or she, you, your husband, your wife, your friend, if you were in Christ, when you became a believer, you were made new. Brand new. Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself, what? For me. We have a new man or a new woman in Christ. It's the same old you, right? Outside, inside you are so radically changed because your nature has been totally, completely changed. Absolutely immersed into Christ, which means you take on his nature. If you're in Christ, you have Christ's nature. People teach you have two natures. You don't have two natures. You have one new nature, completely new, in Christ. Not two, one. you still got sin in you, as I do, which we'll see in a minute. But you have one nature. You've been baptized into Christ, Romans chapter 6. Absolutely immersed into Christ. That's your nature. That's who you are. That's the new you. That's our focus for the next two weeks. The new you in Christ. The new you. A lot of people teach that salvation is a matter of addition, okay? That when you get saved, you get something new, okay? The reality of salvation, it's a matter of transformation. Amen? Are you with me? It is not a matter of addition, it's a matter of absolute transformation. A new creature in Christ. Not the same old guy with a little bit of Christ's nature. Absolutely renewed. The old is dead. You've been resurrected from spiritual deadness that you're born with. He breathes life into you. And now you step into a rich relationship with Christ as you share the very nature of Christ. So then you ask, well, why do I still sin? Amen? Come on, now be honest. So why do I still sin? I hate it. I didn't hate it before, but why do I still sin? Here's what Paul said in Romans chapter 7. He said, the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil that I will not to do, that I do. O wretched man that I am, deliver me from, who will deliver me from this body of death? Right? New nature, new nature, but you still have an old stinky coat that covers you. It's called humanness. Okay? You're a new creature in a stinky old coat. You get it? The stinky old coat is called humanness. You're still a human, though you've been given a new nature. That's why you still sin. But we're no longer in rebellion if you're in Christ. Peter alludes to this in 2 Peter 1.13. This is still in the underdoctory stage. He's referring to his imminent death. And he refers to this flesh or this humanness as a tent. Okay tent tabernacle he said yes i think it is right as long as i am in this tent to stir you up by reminding you knowing that shortly i must put off this tent just as our lord jesus christ showed me pretty soon i'm going to die he says and i'm going to put off this tent and then this new nature is going to step into glory get it There's a greater transformation that takes place when you are born again into Christ. There's a greater transformation that takes place when that new nature is birthed into you. Greater transformation than even when you die. For real. You are transformed when you come into Christ. When you die, all that death does is enables that new nature to enter into the very presence of God. Because you're born again, because Christ has breathed life into you, death enables you to be separated from this tent and to step into the glory of God, you see? To step into the glory of God. That's all death does. The great radical change is when you come to faith in Christ and your nature's changed. When your nature's changed, you now have been granted eternal life, which when this old tent does die, when this humanness does die, you go be with the Lord. Get it? That's the hope. It's the hope of glory. That's the hope of glory. That's where, that's where we're going. Now, here we are. New nature, right? New nature. All of us, if you're in Christ, you have a new nature. If you're not in Christ, you still have the nature you're born with, and you're separated from Him. So, here's the deal. When you are granted that new nature, God does not want you walking around in that old stinky coat anymore. Okay, because you have the ability to step out of it. That's where we're moving. You see how how we're moving here? Illustration of this. I used to attend a great church in town here, Horizon Christian Fellowship. Okay, for years. I served in ministry there. And every Thanksgiving, Horizon sends out these buses throughout the city. And they bus in all of these homeless people. And they put on a huge feast. Turkeys, bacon, all day long. Okay? They bring them in. They let them walk through and pick out new clothes for themselves, shower them, clip their fingernails, their toenails, give them haircuts, delice them if they have lice, right? Clean them all up. One thing we never did. We never took a dirty, stinky guy off the street, cleaned him all up, washed his hair, deliced him, clipped his nails, cleaned them all up, and then put him back in his stinky clothes. You don't do that. You either wash them, or in some cases you throw them, and you give them brand new clothes. You got it? You don't put them back in a stinky old garment. The same is true for those who've been granted a new nature in Christ. The new nature is his, granted to you. His nature is created in you, now here it is, and it's made manifest through you. So the new nature that's been granted to you on the inside, you're washed, clean, you're fresh. He wants you living out that nature. So he doesn't want you putting on the stinky old habits, the stinky old ways of thinking, the stinking old lifestyle that you live. He wants you to shed that off. And be cloaked and be covered in the same manner on the outside that you are on the inside, you see. So someone who's been given a new nature, you don't go back to the old practices. You don't go back to the old stinky garments of the humanness that you lived out before Christ. Amen? That is the thought. That is where we transition. Because look at, remember this, Ephesians 2. Paul said, you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked. In which you once walked according to the course of this world. So the troubles with what? That human coat of humanness. And if your nature has changed, don't put back on the stinky coat. So what we're going to learn today and in the next week is how to keep that coat off. The, the coat of sinful passions. The coat of sinful desires. The coat of sinful action. The coat of sinful behavior that are contrary to someone who has a new nature and to burn them. Amen? That is this is what he's talking about. Illustration of this. Keep your finger here. Go to go to John chapter twelve. The Gospel of John chapter no eleven. I'm sorry. Chapter eleven. Jesus had some dear friends during his earthly ministry. Two sisters and a brother, Mary, Martha, and their their brother Lazarus. Remember that? These people loved the Lord. The Lord loved them. They had an intimate relationship. Oftentimes they would house Jesus. Jesus had no home of his own. He would travel many times. He'd go pray in the wilderness. They slept in the wilderness. But these people would take Jesus into their home very often. So there's an intimate relationship there. Jesus is off. He's doing ministries with the twelve. And Lazarus gets ill. He falls prey to some sickness. Very ill. So the sisters send word, because they only lived two miles from Jerusalem, they lived in Bethany, It was a couple miles outside of Jerusalem. They send word that Lazarus is sick. Jesus doesn't go. He waits. Lazarus dies. Then he goes and he's late. The sisters run up, they go, "Lord, met Martha, if you'd have been here, my brother would not have died." He says, your brother will rise again. Well, I know, Lord, in the day of the resurrection that he will die in the last day, that he'll rise again in the last day. And you know what Jesus answered? He said, I am the resurrection. I am the resurrection. So Jesus goes to the graveside. We pick it up. Verse 38, chapter 11. And here we go. Jesus again, groaning in himself, came to the tomb. And it was a cave. And a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench, for he has been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you that it would be, (coughs) that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? And then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me, but because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Now, when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes. And his face was wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, loose him and let him go. A living man can't function in grave clothes, amen? That brother cannot go back into society, even go back home with being all wrapped up in grave clothes. And in that day, you'd wrap the body, and then you'd have to wrap the head separately. He was wrapped up. He said, let him loose, because he's alive. He's no longer dead. You are in Christ. You are no longer spiritually dead. You are a new creature in Christ. Therefore, don't walk, nor should you walk, and you don't, have to be a slave to walking wrapped up in the grave clothes of your old habits and behaviors, you see. You're free in Christ. You no longer have to be subject to that lifestyle. No longer subject. Isn't that glorious? From this point on, back to Ephesians. From this point on in chapter 4, verse 17, through the rest of the book of Ephesians, Paul begins to attack this issue all the way throughout the book of walking in newness of life. Because you're new, your nature is new, you are new in Christ, you are freed from the grave, grave clothes of sinful life sinful behavior, and he attacks it all the way through, and he moves through dissecting it one basic lifestyle behavior at a time. Relationships, action, reaction, words, thinking, and so on. And that's where he transitions now in his thinking in this book, in this letter. So we're going to learn how the new nature functions in behavior in the new man or in the new woman. Remember chapter 4, verse 1, he says, walk worthy of the calling? Remember that? As we've said many times, okay? He said, therefore, I, a prisoner of the Lord, beseech you, I beg you to walk worthy of the calling. And that goes back to chapters 1, 2, and 3. This is everything that Christ has done for you. Therefore, walk, which means daily conduct. Let your daily conduct simply reflect everything that Christ has done on your behalf. And now he's going to begin. Now, he's been kind of doing it in broad terms. your one body, one faith. One spirit, one God and Father who's in you all and through you all, amen, corporately. Now he begins to dissect it individually. Individually. And he does it through the rest of the book. He gets very specific with the believer as what to do. Now, how's that possible? You know why it's possible? Think about it. Christians think differently than non-Christians. Amen. Do you not think differently now than you did before you were saved? If you don't, you better check yourself because you're probably not saved. If your thinking hasn't been radically transformed from what it used to be when you were a non-believer, you're probably not saved. A believer, his thinking is transformed. Just the word repentance means renewed thinking, a change of thought. Notice here in Ephesians, just really quickly, just look at it, chapter 4. Look at everything in this, just the passage we're going to look at that has to do with the mind. Verse 17, the last word in that verse, futility of their mind. Verse 18, having their understanding, having to do with thinking. He goes on to speak about ignorance, which happens to do with a lack of correct thinking. Blindness. He goes on to talk in verse 20 about you have not so learned Christ, verse 21, but you have been taught by him. And then verse 23, be renewed in the spirit of your what? Mind. Christians think differently than non-believers. Everything begins with thinking. When Christ gives you a new nature, what's transformed in you? Your thinking process. You begin to think differently. You begin to look at life Differently, salvation begins with repentance, which is a changed mind, changed thinking. So what's wrong with the non-believer? His thinking, here it is, guys, It's corrupted. His thinking, backwards. His thinking, self-consumption. Self-consumption. And that moves us into our study. And on your handout, you will see, he begins with, no longer walking believer, is a Gentile. No longer living as the Gentiles live. And then he goes on to give four characteristics of what a non-believer's life is like. So we're going to look at the Gentile's life, and then the four characteristics that make up typically a non-believer of which God has delivered you from. Are we good with the introduction? Okay, let's roll. Here he goes. Verse 17. This, Isaiah, this I say therefore in testifying to the Lord that you should no longer walk is the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. Gentile. Ethne is the word. We get the word ethnic from it. We get the word what? Ethnic. The word is ethne. We get the word ethnic from it. Meaning nations, people, oftentimes in the Bible it's translated heathen, pagan, non-believer. Nationally, in the Old Testament, it always spoke of a group of people or an individual who was a non-Jew. okay, Gentile. Gentile. In 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 5, Paul is describing the way that a non-believer lives, and he says, in the passion of their lust. And you should not live in the passion of your lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. The Gentiles who do not know God, you as a believer, you know him. So the point is that you believer do not walk, meaning daily conduct, any more as a Gentile does, or any more as non-believers do. But we're like, wow, I live in a culture that is pounds anti-Christianity. We live in an anti-Christ culture, and anti-christian culture, anti-christ mentality they're haters of God and you before Christ were probably a hater of God you might have said in general terms oh well I love God and you know he loves all of us and you did not know him you did not know that he hates sin and that he unleashed all of his wrath upon his son to save you but when he birthed that life into you, your thinking was transformed so here you are new nature living a life In the midst of a culture that is absolutely contrary to the thinking of God. Contrary to the thinking of God. That's where you and I live and breathe. And we're supposed to be light in the midst of that. Amen? Think about it. Historically, Israel, where would they find themselves most times? They were to be the light of the world. What did they continually fall into? The sin and the behaviors and the actions of the nations that were surrounding them that were all non-believers That they were supposed to be light in and they would fall prey to their lifestyles So God would have to judge them, right? God judged them time and time again And many times he would use the very enemies of God to bring forth God's judgment upon them Coming into bondage and coming into slavery and all that type of situation And uh, it's no difference for us in America, Okay America! Is it for Christ or against Christ? Totally against. If you think it's a nation for Christ, you're fooling yourself. Okay? Think about what we're surrounded by. Absolute affluence. The richest nation in the world. Period. You're inundated day by day by day by images of Hollywood. You begin to compare yourself to people in Hollywood. You know what? To be a poser in America, Okay, it's full of posers. Come on now. America is full of posers. I was at, I don't remember when I was at the dentist or something, and I was getting a haircut. And all of the magazines the they have is people. What is? Is it us or U.S.? Us, whatever it is. It's all these pictures of these beautiful people. All these beautiful people. So I'm looking at all the photos and all the close up and it's just Botox and garb and... and and implants of whatever you can think of, that's Hollywood. And everyone attempts in America, for the most part, to look like that and be like that. To find posers, just 20 years ago, you had to go to Sunset Strip. And they'd be hanging out all over the street, posing, musician posers, that weren't musicians, that wanted to be musician, posing as they were a rock star. You had people posing as an actor that were no actor at all, whatever, and they're just trying to be like everything that they see in their culture. And the devil has used this to absolutely confuse the thinking of America. And that's we're in the middle of it, to be light in that. That's hard, amen? That is hard to be light. So what does the church spend its time doing? Evangelizing those people? No is trying, the attempt that the church has to make is to get the people no longer to live like Hollywood. So, it's having this negative effect. We're supposed to be evangelizing the world by the lifestyle that we live that cuts against the grain of culture, and so many times the church falls prey, and they fall and line up right within the grain of what the culture is doing. Time and time and time again. So society has this tremendous impact, just as it did in Ephesus. Remember our introduction to Ephesus? Just a little reminder. To some, it was known as the most evil city in Asia Minor. There was a religious center of idol worship right in the middle of the city. They worshipped Diana, also known as Artemis. They had these temples built. They had these priestesses. And what was associated with this religion was drunkenness and sexual orgies all day long. Within Ephesus, if anyone would escape that was a criminal to the city of Ephesus, if they were a bow shot away from the city walls, which is about a quarter of a mile, you couldn't touch them. And guess what was about a quarter mile away from the city walls? The Temple of Diana. So imagine the company that was hanging out around the Temple of Diana. You get it? Absolute corrupt perversion. Perversion. Drunken orgy style gatherings. One, historic, one historian says of Ephesus, he says this, and I quote, Yet thousands of temple prostitutes and musicians who all worked themselves into a frenzied state of shameless acts of sexual activity, drunkenness, and self mutilation. Another historian says that the morals of Ephesus were lower than animals, and the inhabitants of Ephesus were fit only to be drowned. perverted, twisted, backward thinking. So here's this little church of Ephesus right in the middle of all this debauchery. You, believer, have been given a new nature, and you are centered in the middle and in the center of absolute debauchery in America. Hopefully you understand that. And this is exactly what Paul's talking about. And he's saying, look, because you've been granted a new nature, no longer live like them. Because you're no longer of them, don't act like them. Because I've freed you from that, don't think like them. Don't think like them. So many times, we get drawn in and sucked in by the devil to think like the culture thinks. Come on now. We're to think contrary because you've been given a new nature and you're able to think contrary to the way the world thinks. And this is what Paul's exhortation is. 1 John 2.15, it says this first John two fifteen. do not love the world or the things in the world the world you guys is passing away and the lust of it but he who does the will of God abides how long forever forever they say that physically we are what we eat amen if you live a life on hostess Twinkies okay that's your diet hostess Twinkies that's it right you will soon die. There was some movie that a guy ate at McDonald's three days, three times a day for 30 days. I didn't see it. My kids watched it, and they said he was the guy. The doctor said, "You better stop. You're going to die." He become very lethargic and just you know, headaches and sick until he went and got his fix at McDonald's, and then he was like, "Ooh, boost a little energy, right?" That will kill you. Just as we are physically what we eat, spiritually, we are what we think. You are what you think. You are what you think. As a Christian, you're given in new nature, begin to take your thinking captive, right, into the obedience of Christ. We must. We must. So, here we're moving into the four characteristics that represent unsaved thinking. Four characteristics. Number one in your handout, self-centeredness, which is futility of the mind. This I say therefore and testify in testifying the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. Mind. Desires. Thinking. Fulfilling every little whim. Fulfilling every little desire. Pursuing with passion the things that appease the sinful nature. That's what non-believers do. That's the way they think. And he's saying, don't live like that. Because you're given to nature, don't think like that. Don't follow like that. You know, I said America's filled with posers, self-promoters. You got like this MySpace thing where people are basically promoting themselves, you know? You promote yourself all with the attempt to gain the accolades of perfect strangers. Talk about posing, Amen. And you know what you can do now with photos? You can take a photo of yourself, you can doctor it, and you can make yourself look so good. Photoshop and all that type of stuff. You know, I have a friend, to illustrate this, I, I, I'm a Green Bay Packer fan, so I grew up in that area, and the Packers are my team, and someone bought me a hat yesterday, okay? And I have a dear friend of mine who's a Raider fan, okay? So last year, he would actually buy me gifts of Raider garb. And the Packers didn't do well last year, so every Sunday afternoon when they'd lose, he'd send me an email chiding me, right, about my great team, the Packers. And I emailed back, and I said, uh, you know what, bud? I said... uh, You're always chiding me about my Packers, but in reality, you're a closet fan, and you know it, and I have a photo to prove it, okay? So he goes, what are you talking about? This is all over email. So I went to my son. My son's a graphic artist, and I had a photo of myself and this fella. Um, We were either on a train or a plane, and we're sitting next to each other. So I had my son take the photo and put on our heads a big cheddar head, a Green Bay Packer cheddar head, and a big number one sign you know the number one finger it's really super big hand like this because he's kinda leaning into me in this photo so he's got this number one sign and we both have cheddar heads and we're both like this the photo was real and when I sent to him it looked so real that he thought we actually took that photo together (laughs) my son did a great job And he's a celebrity, so he gets his photo taken so often, he can't remember who took what and where they took it or whatever. So I had him. It was a great joke. So the point, the world is given to this self-illusion as they're consumed with, guess who, themselves. That photo, it was a real photo, but was totally fraudulent, fraudulent. Totally made up. And the world and their thinking begins to promote self in the futility of their mind, which is alienated from God, which we'll see in a minute. He's saying, don't think like that anymore. You're given a new nature. Separate yourself. Get the grave clothes of death off you because you're new in Christ. So don't think like that. Because you're able, you can take your eyes off of yourself and the futility of a lost person's thinking, now you can get them on God thinking. Futility of their mind. Quote John MacArthur. He says, people will blow their money, blow their bodies, blow their minds, and sometimes blow their heads off in the futile attempt of self-fulfillment with something that is never there. That photo never took place. We were together, but all the junk we had on us wasn't there. It was a figment of one's imagination. It was a figment of the creation of my artist son. The devil creates things that aren't there. He makes things that aren't there look really good. And you will look good to yourself. And you begin to compare yourself by the stuff you're inundated with day after day after day in a culture that hates Christ and in a culture that is alienated from God. Alienated. Think about this. I was going through a list of uh, the top 100 rock and roll artists of all time up to this point, right? now I just pulled out a few that were in my mind Kurt Cobain, dead 27 Jim Morrison, dead 27 Janis Joplin, dead 27 Jimi Hendrix, dead 27 Lane Staley, dead Keith Moon, dead Freddie Mercury, dead all of those people died of either drug overdoses AIDS because of sexual activity choking on their vomit because they were passed out either from alcohol consumption or barbiturates or suicide and they gave their lives to gain fame and fortune and they lost it all it was all vanity ecclesiastes remember that solomon the richest most powerful man that has ever lived He had everything, he did everything, he had more women than any cat in this cultural level have, let me tell you that. Between his women, his wives and his concubines, a thousand. Take his pick every day. He said vanity of vanity, all is vanity, all of it's empty, all of it's futile, all of it is meaningless. Because you've been given a new nature, man, don't put on the polluted garb. Don't put on the grave clothes of a dead man's thinking, you see. Run from it, he says. It begins with the thinking. That's the first characteristic of an unsaved person. They are consumed in their thinking with themselves. Futility of their mind. Characteristic number two. Ignorance of the truth. And this is the reason. Having their understanding darkened. I'm sorry. Do not walk any longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. Ignorance. We live in a very educated society. Come on, amen. People are given degrees like nothing nowadays. Just Right? People go do their little four-year college education, they go on maybe get their masters, go on get their doctorate, go get another doctorate, start some corporation. They got all these, little, this string of degrees hanging up on their wall. And then in their education, they attempt, in their great knowledge, in what they think is great wisdom, to push God or reason God out of the picture. 2nd Timothy 3 7 it says man is ever learning but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth ever learning but not able to come to the knowledge of the truth unsaved people you guys have a natural inability to understand the things of God and when a person willfully alienates himself from God, check it out now, listen, and when a person alienates himself from God, God will use that as an instrument of his wrath, God of wrath, to allow that person hardness in the position of their thinking. Romans one twenty one. mark this down, it says this. Because although they knew God, there's no one in the world who doesn't truly believe deep down that there's not a supernatural being. I'll tell you that right now. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful, but they became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. Darkened willfully a, a willfully darkened heart someone who willfully rejects someone who willfully allows their heart to be darkened may lead god to judicially turn them over to the position of their heart so he willfully alienates himself from god and he brings judgment upon himself i want to show you this worked out in scripture i want to show you this descent i want to show you this decline Okay? Through Scripture in Romans chapter 1. Keep your finger here go back to Romans chapter 1. And we're going to pick it up at verse 18. One of these days it might be on an evening, but I'm going to teach Romans verse by verse. It could take many years. But, but you'll benefit because when you get a grip on you get a grip on the book of Romans and you will have a grasp on the entire word of God. Okay? Verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of of men who, say it together, suppress the truth of God in their unrighteousness. Okay? Here's man pushing down what God has made known of himself. Pushing it down. Pushing it down. They suppress it. Because they love their unrighteous. Verse 19. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power in Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Nobody will stand on Judgment Day and say, I didn't know. Nobody. Feudal thinking? Leads to blindness of heart. Feudal thinking, self-consumption, leads to I'll black God out of the picture. Take off the grave clothes, believer. Take them off. Get rid of them. Burn them. Don't think like this. Don't harden yourself. Check it out. Verse 21. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful, but they came futile in their thoughts. And their foolish hearts were what? Duncan. Then where do they do? They profess to be wise. Well, you think there's this God, that's a crutch. That's a crutch. You know, there's many ways to God, so long as you're sincere, right? You know, you came from some glob of muck on the water, which somehow grew an eye and then fins and then feet and then a monkey and then you. So they profess to be wise. And they became fools, and they changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image. Made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. So, rather than adhering to the fact that God says he created man in his image, man in his hardness says we're going to create God the way we see him. We're going to create God in our image. And I say he's like this. You may say he's like this, but I say he's like this. Feudal thinking. Leads to blindness and hardness, and you make God up in your own image. Therefore, here's a therefore, because of all of that thinking, therefore, God gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who's blessed forever. And for this reason, second time, God gave them up to vile passions. First he turns them over to their thinking, they live out their thinking, then he turns them over to the behavior of their thinking. This is God's judgment. Likewise also, verse 27, the men, or I'm sorry, verse 26, God gave them up to vile passions, for even their women exchanged the natural use of for what is against nature. Likewise, also, men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust for one another, men with men, committing what is shameful, receiving in themselves the penalty of the error which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased, depraved mind. He turns them over. Mercy, mercy, mercy. He turns them over to their thinking. They don't repent. Eventually he turns them over to the behavior. They don't repent. Eventually he turns them over to the very state of their being. Hardness of heart against God, alienating themselves from God, now they're alienated forever. Debased mind. Dangerous, dangerous place. Perfect illustration of this would be Pharaoh. Remember Pharaoh? God sent Moses to deliver his people under Pharaoh's rule. Pharaoh says what? I won't. God shows himself in a miraculous way. Pharaoh hardened his heart. God showed himself in another miraculous way. Pharaoh hardened his heart. Another miraculous way. He hardened his heart. God shows himself in another way. Pharaoh hardened his heart. Or God hardened his heart. God turned him over to the position of his thinking. And he died in his sin. And died in his sin. It shows the way to go, and God confirmed them in their choice. He confirmed them in their choice. Blindness, this word, porosis, it comes from a root word that means harder than marble. Harder than marble. It's used in medical terms for a callus that grows around a broken bone. And the callus of the broken bone gets harder than the actual bone itself. That kind of hardness and the negative. First Timothy 4 verse 1 it says this, In latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits, to doctrines of demons. Not doctrines about demons, but just doctrines that are contrary to the true teaching of God's Word. You see the importance of doctrine? Doctrine means correct what? Correct teaching. Speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared as with a hot iron. That's permanent hardening by constant rebellion against God. So God turns them over. There's a great illustration of this. Keep your finger uh, back to uh, John, actually. Back to John, chapter 12. Chapter 12, verse 37. Jesus did all these miraculous signs. I mean, is not raising a man from the dead sign enough that you are Christ? Come on. Healing people of leprosy, is that not sign enough that you are the Son of God? Healing people of all their diseases, is that not sign enough that you are God Almighty in the flesh? It wasn't enough for these people. Verse 37, but although he did so many signs before them, they did not believe in him. See, a blind heart, you guys, is hardened to the work of God. Okay. Verse 38, that the word of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled which he spoke Lord who's believed our report Into whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed therefore they could not believe he has blinded the eyes and hardened their hearts lest they should see with their eyes lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them first it was that they would not believe guys then it came to they could not believe and that takes us right back to Ephesians. You see the decline here? Non-believers are given over to the futility of their own thinking, at least to an understanding that is darkened. They alienate themselves from God. God alienates himself from them. He turns them over to the position of their heart. And then, because of their ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness. They would not... And then they could not. Remember we read this morning from 2 Corinthians 4? Verse 4, it says, Whose minds, non-believers, the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. The devil comes and he knows that Christianity begins with thinking. So he wants to blind people's thinking. So, believer, because you're a new creature in Christ, don't walk in the old garb because the people who don't know Christ, they're looking at you as a testimony of Christ. And if you have a new nature and you're walking around in stinky, putrid, old grave clothes that look like and smell like a non-believer, they're not going to see Christ. They're going to and go, there's another grave member. We're all grave members, Right? That leads to characteristic number three. They're beyond guilt and conviction means they're past feeling, past feeling. This is the this is the result of that seared conscience. No ethics, no morals, no longer caring about consequences, having nothing to hide. This is rock and roll shock factor, man. Remember back in the 70s, it was Alice Cooper. Remember that? Okay, Alice is nothing now, compared to the garbage that they're doing on stage today. I'm telling you, man. Rock and roll shock factor. MTV wants to shock people. Right? And none of it shocks anybody anymore. Nothing shocks anybody anymore. And if you're not shocked anymore, believer, you're wearing a polluted, stinky coat. Lewdness or lasciviousness. It means shameless wantonness. Unblushing obscenity sexual, undisciplined obscenity. Here's where you see the blown mind of MTV, man. Look, even Christians today are deceived by cultural thinking. Because what's the culture saying today? Well, I believe that people are born homosexual. I'm telling you something. Don't fool yourself, Christian, with the rhetoric of a godless society. Okay? Nobody's born a homosexual any more than someone's born a pedophile. Let me tell you something if a forty five-year-old man stood before you and he sexually molests and rips off little boys or girls and he could stand there also and say I was born like this I had an attraction to eight-year-old girls when I was eight I had an attraction to eight-year-old girls when I was 15 I had an attraction to eight-year-old girls when I was 40 and I still have it when I'm 45 and the culture goes well maybe he was born like that people are born murderers they're not born thieves they're not born homosexual, and they're not born a pedophile. They become that because of their nature. And they lend themselves to that nature over and over and over and over again, and you become that which you think, and you become that which you are. Christian, don't listen to the rhetoric of a, an anti Christ, anti Christian culture, please. Don't. You're not born that way. You lend yourself to sexual promiscuity. It'll lead to sexual disease, perhaps. Unwanted pregnancy. And then unwanted pregnancy leads to abortion. And abortion is murder. And the culture says it's not murder. It's a choice. Scientifically, life begins upon conception. Theologically, God knit you together in your mother's womb. Therefore, life begins conception, man. Don't listen to it. It's lies. You're given a new nature, start thinking like a new nature, so strip off the old grave clothes so you don't stink like the world, and you can really be liked. And you can challenge the thinking of those who don't. Because if you think like them, what's there to challenge now? Come on. You give yourself over to these things. The non-believers do. They live without shame. They begin to boast in these things. And then Galatians 6 says this. It says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap what? Corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. Amen? Okay, we're not done yet, but listen to this. You sow a thought, you reap an act. You know this, you've heard this. You sow an act, you reap a habit. You sow a habit, you reap a character You sow a character, you reap a destiny. You reap a destiny. Listen to this little story. A little illustration, if I can find it. I just remember it. This young man grows up on a farm, and he hates his neighbor who's also a farmer. He hates him so much so that he goes out in the middle of the night and he takes these seeds that grow up to be just brutal weeds, right? It takes years to grit them. So he just starts sowing these seeds all over this, this other farmer's field who he hates. Okay? Time goes on, because you know, he was just reacting to some argument. Time goes on and he ends up marrying the daughter of this farmer. Okay? So he, in the long run, ends up not only taking this, guy, this woman as his wife, but he also inherits the farm. And he says, I spent the rest of my life trying to weed out these brutal seeds of weeds that I planted years ago, and I still can't get rid of them. You sow to it, you'll reap it. Believer, you've been given a new nature. Take off the old, amen? Take off the old. That leads us to characteristic number four. Nonbelievers end up making a business out of sinful desires. That's where we get to work all in cleanness. To work all uncleanness. To work means occupation. It's to make a business out of evil. You know, dirty business used to be veiled. If you wanted to find some crooked, pervert, twisted sex shop or something, you had to go through the inner cities and into the back alleys. You know what I'm saying? You used to veil it. Shameful. It was shameful. Now, it's in neon lights, man, and on billboards. Strip joints. Strip tease. Strip tease. Strip tees, Strip tees. Right? Prostitution. Vegas! It's in neon lights. What used to be shameful has now become business. Non-believers make a business out of evil. A business out of what's twisted. It's not hidden anymore. It's in neon lights. Homosexuality, people used to remain in the closet. Now we have parades. Guys dressing up like chicks. Come on now. I told you about a friend, a brother in ours. Do we, uh, hey! Love them enough to tell them the truth. We had a brother in here I told you about a couple of weeks ago. He was at the gay pride parade lovingly sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know what he was challenging them with? Their thinking. Ask somebody what their worldview is. A worldview simply means this. Where do we come from? Why are we here? And what happens with when we die? Begin your evangelistic efforts with a question. Hey, what's your worldview? What's that? Where we come from, why are we here, what happens when we die. And let them just spiel off whatever they want to spiel off and then give them the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. You're born with a sin nature. You'll die in this sin nature. You'll spend eternity away from God if you continue to alienate yourself from God. And God demands perfection to get to heaven. Good news or bad news? That's bad news. Therefore, gospel means good news. Now you give them the good news. And then it'll really be good. The good news is that Jesus came out of heaven, lived a perfect life in your place, died in your place. He had the perfect nature because he is God himself who died in your place, rose again, proving he was who he was, the Son of God. And if you believe in him and trust in him and submit your life to him, you'll be saved. You'll transform your nature. That's the good news. Start there. Come on now. Hallelujah, amen, thank you. All of this, you guys, is the way of the Gentile. These four characteristics are the way of a non-believer. You're not a non-believer. You are renewed in Christ. You've been given a new nature. Therefore, think like someone. Amen? And if you put on the stinky clothes because you've been given a shower and you put on the stinky, stenchy, rotten clothes of a dead man, you still walk around stinking. Burn them. And that leads us to verse 20. But you have not so learned Christ. Don't walk as the Gentiles walk. We just looked at what they look like, how they live. He says, look, you've not learned Christ like that. He did not say, check it out, he did not say you have not learned about Christ. Because a lot of people will come and learn about Christ and they're not in Christ. If you have yet to submit yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ, you're accountable for everything you know. You're accountable for every time you've sat and to where a man, a true man of God, preaches the true word of God. You're accountable to that. But if you're in Christ, you're a new creature in Christ. Burn the cloth. Burn the cloth. Amen? So to learn of Christ is to have a personal relationship with Christ. I read Johnny Cash's biography, right? Johnny Cash, I learned about him. But he's a dead guy, right? You can go read about Frank Sinatra and he's a dead guy. You can learn about him, but you're not going to learn him. Christ is living. When you come into Christ, he changes your nature. Now you can learn him. Because him is in you. So you don't need to put on a stinky cloth, wrap yourself up in stench, and try to walk through life like this. He's freed you. He's freed you. So take off the grave clothes, a resurrected man or woman, can't move about in a way that glorifies God, with stinky, tying you up grave cloths. Let them go. Get rid of it. You know one thing we won't do here, guys? We're not going to put up a bunch of Christian do's and don'ts list on the wall. It's not going to happen. That's legalism. It ain't going to happen. But what we will do here... We will teach the person of Christ. We will teach the will of God. We will teach you the desires in the mind of Christ as revealed through scripture. And if you have a new nature, it's going to have some impact on you to want to conform yourself to His image and yield yourself to Him. If you're, if this is all like Greek to you, unless you speak Greek or Chinese or whatever, check yourself to see if you're in the faith. I can't tell you how grieved I get when I hear kids say, who grew up in Christian homes, well, I'm going to go live my life a little while and sow my oats and I'll come to faith in Jesus Christ later on in life. The judgment of God and his hardening of a heart and turning someone over to the position of their heart, I fear that for people. I fear it. I had a friend who told me, I discipled him for a year, moved into our house, he professed Christ, discipled him for a year, and he said, well, I know the truth, so... If I begin to die, I'll call out on Christ because I've def- He actually said, I've seen you live out Christ in your home and I've heard you and I believe the facts. And he goes, and if Christ come back and the great tribulation takes place, well, I'll know the truth and I'll repent. But you guys, guess what? The book of Revelation of the great tribulation does not speak of some great revival taking place. It says, men, the judgment of God will be unleashed on man during the great tribulation. When God, I believe, will take his church out of here before that. And it says, men will be so miserable that they will seek death and be unable to find it. Does that sound like a revival? There's no revival. That's men in their misery of the judgment being unleashed on the rebellious acts of mankind and wanting to kill themselves and they can't. Now, what that looks like, practically, I have no idea. There's no revival. There's no revival. I believe that Israel as a nation will understand and recognize their Redeemer, Jesus Christ. But I don't believe you see in the book of Revelation there's any worldwide revival. You can show it to me. Brothers and sisters, we close now with this in mind. You have a new nature. you got all the power available to live out a life that brings glory and honor to Christ because he loves you intimately because he knows you. And you know him. So... Paul says, I therefore beseech you to walk worthy of the calling. All that you are, simply live it out. And if you've got the old garment hanging in the closet that stinks, right? The old grave clothes, go burn them today. The thinking, the habits, the behaviors that are in total opposition to everything that you are inwardly. Perfectly righteous, positionally perfect, redeemed, sinner saved by grace. As perfect as you can be. That's how He sees you. So, let's live it out. Amen?